Hey folks, good to be with you all. Happy summertime. I'm on holiday just now. Uh, so literally I am. We've been up in the Highlands for a week. Uh, I've caught 11 fish so far. So they've all been really small. We've managed to fry one in the barbecue. The, the rest of them have been little tiny things, so don't get too excited. But it's been, it's been great having a really good time. So pop down, Dad's with me today, pop down uh, for today, preaching this morning and through to uh, commissioning service tonight, then back up to holiday again. So uh, I'll see you folks in a few weeks' time. But it's a joy to be with you folks, and nothing I'd rather do on holiday than study the Bible with friends. You right, buddies? Okay, so let's go. We're going to study the Bible, and we're going to study a really, really awesome, exciting part of Genesis that I think is going to speak to you. It's certainly spoken to my heart. Um, yesterday was a bit of a tough day up at Loch Tay. Um, we, we were staying on the north shore of the loch, and later in the afternoon there was these sirens. And I, I've been looking at the news. It's not really been featuring in the news. I found it on one blogger's website, but all these sirens, these uh, fire engines came down the hill and stopped at the shore, edge of the shore and started going out in boats across the other side of the loch. And then next thing you know, there's police cars and there's about four fire engines and people going out in boats. And then uh, this helicopter, emergency helicopter, comes over and starts kind of hovering over the other side of the lock. And what, what's happened was there was two guys out in an in a open canoe. And the canoe, they were fishing. And the canoe capsized. And one of them made it to shore and the other one, no sign. A 29-year-old, just gone. Just gone, just like that. So I was thinking about that. And then I was thinking about, you all been watching the football. And you watched the Brazil-Colombia, was it, a couple of nights ago. And it's interesting, one of the commentators said, it just in the first 10 minutes, I mean, it was just a full-on match. They just went for it from the word go. It wasn't like they, and the, one of the commentators says, wow, they're playing like it's the last 10 minutes, but it's only the first 10 minutes. You know when that sense of urgency kicks in, it's the last 10 minutes and they go for it? But it was only the first 10 minutes. And that's how the game was all the way through. And I thought, maybe that's how we should just live. Maybe we should live lives understanding that actually our time will come. And we, we've got to live a life right through uh, as if it's the last 10 minutes. And that's, that's a little bit about what Genesis 5 is about. We've been on a journey looking at the book of Genesis. Now we're in Genesis 5. And we're looking at the generations between Adam, first human being ever, and the flood which we'll look at next week. Genesis 5. I'm just going to jump around through the chapter just to give you some of the highlights of the chapter. Verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he became the father of a son in his own likeness, according to his own image, named him Seth. This is, he also had Cain and Abel. We looked at that last week. This is his third son. Then the days of Adam after he became a father of Seth were 800 years. People lived a long time in, those, in that era. And he had other sons and daughters. And so all the days of Adam that lived were 930 years. And then he died. Seth lived 105 years. After that, he became the father of Enosh. And Seth lived 107, uh, 70, 107 years after he became the father of Enosh. And he had other sons and daughters, and all the days of Seth were 912 years, and he died. We'll skip ahead, verse 11. All the days of Enosh were 905 years, and he died. Enosh had another son, Canaan, verse 14. All the days of Canaan were 910 years, and he died. 
Verse 17, Canaan had Mahalel, and all the days of Mahalel were 895 years, and he died. And he had a child, Jared, and verse 20, all the days of Jared were 962 years, and he died. And then it leads to Jared's son, Enoch, verse 21. And Enoch lived 65 years, and he became the father of Methuselah. And when Enoch, then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. And he had other sons and daughters. And so the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. So everyone's been dying, and he died, and he died, and he died, and he died. But then in the middle of all these people who were dying, because that's what the curse caused by sin did on planet Earth, right? People die. But in the middle of all that, there's a bright, shining light of a guy who didn't die. But instead, he walked with God for 300 years. Age 65, he, he started walking with God. For 300 years, he walked with God. And age 365 years, God took him. <clears throat> An unusual little bit in the middle of a whole lot of people who had just been dying. But it, it wasn't just about his last 10 minutes. It was about how he lived his whole life. I know God took him. That's just the last 10 minutes. But he lived a life in an atmosphere. He lived a life with an agenda. So a lot of people existed. But this man lived. And my heart for each one of you is that you don't just exist. And I think some of you just are existing. God wants you to live. He wants you to be fully alive and then be fully alive. So what does it look like to walk with God? I've just got five things that I see in these verses. First of all, walking with God means hearing. Look at the verses. Enoch lived 65 years and then became the father of Methuselah. And then Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah. Why did he start walking with God when he was 65? Well, the Bible says he became a father. I don't, I, when I became a dad, it was like a reality check moment, yeah? You think, wow. And it kind of shakes you into, and it's, for some people, it's the best thing that could have happened to them. It kicks them into gear in a, in a different way. You suddenly realize, man, I need, to, I need to live a different life here. It might have been a bit of that going on. But whether that was the main point or not, I want to make that point. Dads, walk with God for the sake of your sons and daughters, Mothers, walk with God for the sake of your sons and daughters. You might say, but I don't see my son, and it's breaking your heart. You have no idea that you're walking with God even now, even though you're not with them, like you long to be. Some of you folks, you haven't seen your son and daughter for a long period, but you need to understand that you're walking with God nevertheless will have a colossal impact on their future, even though it's not the way you'd want it to be. So I think a bit of that was going on, but I think there was more than that. I think what happened when Enoch was age 65 is he heard God speak. I think that's what happens. I know he had a son, but he called his son a name, and the name was Methuselah. It's interesting, the, Methu the name Methuselah, it's not a simple name to translate. But here's, here's a couple of commentators' stabs at the word Methuselah. It means man of the sending forth. It means John MacArthur said his name signifies that 
he will not die until judgment is shot out. Another commentator, Otis Sellers, said this, the Hebrew elements expressed as Methuselah translate die will send. Or more fully, when he is dead, it will be sent. Wow. <laughs> You're thinking, wow, Pete, that's incredible. So Enoch called his son Methuselah, which means when he has died, it will be sent. Now, it's interesting. Methuselah is the oldest recorded person ever to have lived. He lived 969 years and then he died in the year the flood came. Let me go through a few sums with you here. So, 187 years old, Methuselah becomes the dad to Lamech. There's the sum first part. I see that in verse 25. 882 years later, he becomes the grandfather to Noah. And you find that in verse 28. And then in Genesis chapter 7, verse 6, you find that the flood came in the 600th year of Noah's life. So you add those all together, and you get 969 years. So here's the point. Enoch heard God speak to him about an impending judgment that was going to come on planet Earth. I don't know if he'd heard God speak up until that point. I don't know if for the first 65 years he'd heard nothing. My guess is, like all of us, is that God has been... Wow. Did you all hear that, or was that just me? Did that just go off my head? Uh, My guess is that God had been speaking to Enoch umpteen times, and now all of a sudden he listens. Okay? Probably like us. But he had perceived something that God was saying there was going to be a judgment. And his name that he gave to Methuselah, his son, was after Methuselah dies, God will send it. It was, a set, it was a prophetic name that God gave to Enoch about what was going to happen on planet Earth. And I don't, I don't know if it was the very fact that God had spoken to him or if it was a reality check that things were not just going to continue as they had always continued, even though always continued hadn't been that long since Adam. I think somehow or another God spoke, it got Enoch's attention, and it got Enoch's heart connected with this God. And it was the beginning of a journey for Enoch. Question, why would it be, think about it, why would it be that the oldest man who ever lived, 969 years, why would he live so long and then flood came? Why did God prolong his life so long beyond the life of any other person who'd been in existence before the flood coming? I don't know what that tells you. Here's what it tells me. Is that, The dam of God's mercy is holding back the waters of God's wrath, and it was holding it back as long as possible in order that people could be rescued from his own wrath. So, question, why has Jesus Christ not returned yet and judged the world? One day, there will be a judgment day. I know, I understand for Enoch, the judgment day for them was the flood, but I understand we're living in a different era, and there's an impending judgment on the horizon. Why has that not happened yet? Same reason. God is merciful and loving and aching for you to get saved. If you're not yet saved, you're going to have to stand before God one day. You will be judged, and it might happen in your lifetime. It might happen that Jesus returns. Either way, whether he returns in your lifetime or whether you die and stand before him, we're going to be before God. 
And I appeal to you, get yourself right with God. Walk with him, know him. I'm not saying that to freak you out. I'm telling you the truth. God loves you beyond what you could ever imagine. And I think that was what was going on here. It's interesting that Enoch heard God speak. Here's another thing that adds to that thought. It says in Jude chapter 1, Enoch is mentioned twice in the New Testament, or a few times in the New Testament. Here's one of them, Jude chapter 1, verse 14. It was about these men that Enoch, seventh generation from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, and it's a prophecy from Enoch, Behold, the Lord came with many thousands of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of their ungodly deeds, which they've done in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against them. Enoch had perceived not just the first judgment on planet earth, the flood, he'd also seen ahead, here he's prophesying about the ultimate judgment day where Jesus Christ would return. He saw Jesus, Enoch, thousands of years ago, saw Jesus. He saw the return of Christ. And let me just make a point. As surely as the flood happened on earth, and archaeologists would show that the fossil record and the various layers would prove that there was a global flood. As surely as the global flood happened, as predicted by Enoch in naming his son Methuselah, so surely will also that next judgment be that Enoch prophesied here recorded for us in Jude. It's just as certain. One is in history. One will be in history. But just we're in time. It will happen. That day will come. But the point is this. Enoch heard God speak. I'm reading a bit between the lines, but we know he heard God speak. And we know that that one word from God changed the entire course of Enoch's life. He was a person who wasn't walking with God, then he became a person who was walking with God. And the truth is this, that one word from God will change your life forever. And everyone hears God differently. You all won't hear God like Enoch, but we all hear God differently. Apostle Paul heard God by one day on a Damascus road with an agenda heading to a particular town and all of a sudden God appeared to him and spoke to him and Paul's life was so dramatically changed in that instant. Yes, that's one way it could happen. Another way it could happen is Paul's apprentice, Timothy. It doesn't seem as dramatic, but Paul's apprentice, Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy and he says in 2 Timothy 3, 14 to 16, Continue in the things which you have learned and become convinced of. From childhood, you have known the sacred writings. In another place, Paul talks about Lois, Timothy's mother, and Eunice, his grandmother, who raised him with a faith in God, who talked to him about the Bible from his earliest days. Then he goes on and says, all scripture is inspired by God. That book's not just a book. That book called the Bible is the words of God. God speaks through that book. All Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So you might have heard God like the Apostle Paul on Damascus Road. Boom, big, massive, dramatic thing changes your life. Or you might have heard God as seemingly undramatic as you read the Bible and he spoke right into your soul. But it's still God's. And one word from God's can change your life forever. It's an alive book. It's life transforming. So, How do you walk with God? Take time to hear. Take time on a regular basis to hear. What does that mean? It means take time in prayer. Take time in the Word. Don't do it because, oh, I've got to do that. It's my Christian duty. Come on, get with it. 
We're not legalists. We're not religious people. We're talking about a relationship with God. This is about wanting to hear his voice. It's about an eagerness to hear God in prayer and in, in the Bible. My friend Ivan, I just lo- one of the things I love about Ivan is this. He just loves prayer. He starts, when I, whenever I stayed the night at Ivan's house, he's up real early. He's just praying. He loves it. He, he come down in the morning. He sees, I get up pretty early to pray, but he's up four or five in the morning. And he, it's not a duty for him. He just can't wait to get up and be with God. He, he just loves it. If he ever gets a little bit of time off in the day, oh, he's so excited. Let's go and find a quiet corner where he can pray. I mean, that's how vibrant his relationship with God is. And it's no wonder that this guy, he is God, Ivan, he is God. And now we have 600 churches in India that came from Ivan. Not because he's so skillful and so good at management and so good at strategy. and He just knows God. That's it. And then you look at Daniel. Daniel who... It says in Daniel chapter 11, verse 32, Daniel said, the people who know their God shall prove themselves strong, shall stand firm, and do exploits for God. And that's exactly what Daniel did. Daniel knew God. He stood firm, did exploits. Daniel was a foreigner and a slave. He, he was in Babylon as a slave, a Jewish slave in Babylon, and he was there for the, through the reign of five kings. He brought two of the heathen kings to faith in the living God, and he made the worship of the true God law in a land where he was a foreigner and a slave. That's influence. What was Daniel's key? Well, you read the book. I'll give you a tip. He was praying. He's, every day, he just spent three times a day, he got time alone with God. He prayed. He built his life on truth, and he prayed. He was a man who heard God, and it changed the course of his life, and in fact, it changed the course of an entire nation. Time in prayer. Also, time in the Bible. I told you about that time with the canoe yesterday. Do you know what my quiet time yesterday was? It was in Luke chapter 13, where it talked about tragedies that happened to people and what God said about them. Luke chapter 13. That was my Bible reading in the morning. God knew exactly what was going to happen on this, just across the lock from where we, was, where we were staying. God spoke. And do you know what? I'm not blown away by that. I'm not blown away by that because it's almost become familiar. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about, that this book is so alive. The Bible is so alive. Why, why on earth would you want to starve yourself in the Bible? I mean, you, could, you wouldn't go a day without eating food or drinking water. How could you go a day without, or, you know, a couple of days, or just be regular in the Bible, not out of religious duty. Come on, get with it. Stop being so religious. This is about you want to hear the voice of your God. And it's that voice will change your life forever. So you get in time in the Bible because it speaks to you. God speaks through his word. And you know what happens as you hear the voice of God? You become a voice. It's true. I mean, Enoch, there was death, there was death, there was death, there was death. And then there was life. Enoch stood out. He stood out in a generation his life had become a voice. His very existence was a message prophetically to his generation. And we're called to shine like lights amidst a dark and perverse generation. Church, you're called to shine in a great city. Shine in your workplace. Shine in your, in your family. As you know God, your, work, your, your life becomes a voice. It speaks life to a world that was in death. It speaks blessing. 
I know so, so many Christians, the vibe you get from them is condemnation and narrow-mindedness. No, no. But an alive believer sure will be straight down the line and challenging, but also will be full of life and will be a blessing to be around. And that will be what will emanate from your life as you spend time with this voice of God. So what else does it look like to walk with God? First of all, I think Enoch heard God, number one. Secondly, walking with God means believing. Say believing. What does it look like to walk with God? Does it mean, okay, certain disciplines, a kind of monastic lifestyle? You've got to adhere to certain rituals. Is that what it means to walk with God? I know for some people, they think that's what it means, that you've got to live this certain disciplined life. Discipline is good, but so often people are discipline-driven rather than God-driven. That's not, that's not what it looked like for Enoch. Here's what it looked like. Let me, re- let me read how the New Testament, it's another verse speaking about Enoch. Let me read to you how it looked as far as the New Testament is concerned. Hebrews 11 verse 5. By faith, Enoch. Say, by faith. By faith. Say again, by faith. by faith. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. How was he taken up so that he would not see death? By? By faith. He was not found because God took him up. He obtained a witness before this, before he was taken up, that he was pleasing to God. What a witness to obtain, eh? Wow. You were pleasing to God, Enoch. And without faith, it is impossible. Say impossible. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. What a great verse. Where did Enoch's faith come from? Well, you know that. You can quote it to me. Romans 10 verse 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So where did Enoch's faith come? I think it came when he was 65 and God spoke to him about something great and he named his son prophetically because God had spoken. I think he became familiar with the word of God and that ignited faith in his soul. He became a believer in God. You see, notice that he pleased God and just to make a point here, God's not going to walk with someone who doesn't please him. Yeah? I don't, I don't walk with people who don't please me. To be honest, all right, Steve? Me and Steve are the same. We wouldn't hang out with some of you folks. <laughs> no, I'm kidding you on. You're all quirky and cool. But God, I mean, God, you've got to please God for God to want to hang out with you. Yeah? Yeah, you can, you can understand that. But also, it would also work the flip side. That not only do you have to please God for God wants to hang out with you, also you've got to know that God's pleased with you for you to want to hang out with him. Not so? And you know how many religious people are walking around thinking that God is not for them? That they're walking around with this kind of clouds overshadowing them, with this uncertainty, really not sure if God isn't in slightest but interest in their life. In fact, maybe even positively thinking that God's against them. And you might be sitting here thinking, that's me. I don't think he's for me. 
And I don't know where you've come up with it. I don't know if it's based on circumstance or based on something someone said to you or based on religiousness. I don't know what it is. Or it's just an outright lie you've believed. But somewhere down the line, someone's convinced you or you've convinced yourself that God's not for me and you're walking with this cloud. And really, really, is that really going to motivate you to walk with him? Living with this cloud thinking he's not for me? You know, if my dad, I know my dad's for me. He tells me he loves me often. Dad's a blessing to me. I love dads. That's how it goes. But here's the thing. If I didn't think dad was for me, I find it hard to relate to my dad. And that's how many people are with God. You're just not sure if he's for you. But Enoch, it said he obtained a testimony that Enoch pleased God. Now, how do you get that testimony? How do you know that you please God? Look at the verse we've just read. It says, By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. He was, found, he was not found because God took him. And listen, he obtained a witness that before he was taken up, he was pleasing to God. How was he pleasing to God? By, by faith. And then it, to make that point again, it says it in the counterpoint. It says it in the negative. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. With faith, he obtained a testament that he pleased God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. You see, if Enoch's pleasingness to God was based on his great expertise or his great talents or gifts or his great achievements in life or his great moral virtues, then we have reason to despair. But if his pleasingness to God was based on his faith in that God, the same faith that a dying thief could have, and make him instantly pleasing to God. The same faith that is resident in your life and in my life. Same faith makes you and I pleasing to God. God's not just neutral concerning you. And if you think that, you really haven't got it. You really haven't got it. God is so off the fence concerning you. You understand what he did for you? You understand that when Jesus hung and died on that cross, that was God making a clear declaration saying, I so love this world. You've got to grasp his love for you. You've got to understand his foreignness towards you, and you've got to put your trust in a God like that and let that faith result in that relationship that should always be there. What's faith like? What was Enoch's faith like? Well, first of all, Enoch believed that, number one, that he is. It says, uh, you know, without faith it's impossible to believe, uh, please him, for he who comes to God must believe that, number one, he is. And number two, and he is a rewarder. So, first of all, faith, relationship with God, walking with God, you've got to first believe Enoch did this, first believe that he is. Enoch believed that he is. And I, I don't think that just means he wasn't an atheist, right? I think it goes a bit beyond that. I think it's saying he, he believed that he is. He had an awareness of the divine presence, the imminence presence of God, the awareness that, wow, God's there. He lived with an awareness of the presence of God, not just that, yes, I believe God is there academically. I think it went more than that. I think Enoch knew the presence of God and walked in that presence. I think that's faith. David Livingston, a famous missionary to 
Africa. Uh, he came back to Scotland at one point. He came originally from Scotland, and he came back for a period of time. And when he was back, he was acknowledged, and Glasgow University gave him a doctorate. And as he was accepting this great honor, uh, he gave a speech. And here's what his speech went like. He said, I am returning with misgivings and great gladness. He, said, he was basically saying, I'm, I'm about to go back to Africa with misgivings and great gladness. For you would like me to tell you what has supported me through the years of exile among a people whose language I could not understand and whose attitude towards me was always uncertain and often hostile. It was this. This is what kept him in the middle of a land when people were often hostile towards him. He said this. This was what it was. And he quoted, I am with you always to the very end of the world. On these words, I staked everything and they never failed. David Livingston, the way he was able to go into Africa and face such incredible challenges is he knew that Jesus said, when he said, I'm with you, he knew exactly that. He didn't just know academically, he knew the reality of the presence of God in his life. So you've got to believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. Do you believe that he's a rewarder of those who seek him? What does that mean? It means that do you expect the goodness of God in your life? Do you walk with an anticipation of the goodness of God? Do you walk expecting the goodness of God and knowing the goodness of God and knowing he's for you, he's off the fence concerning you? It's a great way to live. That's how I live. One of my first prayers every morning is, thank you, you're with me. Thank you for me. Oh, so it almost comes, it just comes from here. Because I just, thanks. I know he's with me and I know he's for me and I want it for you. I want you to know he's with you and I want you to know he's for you. And that, I think that's what was going on in Enoch's life. So every challenge you face in life, you face it in faith. Every circumstance that presents itself as life often does, you face it and respond in faith. That's what Enoch did. And you look at all the great heroes of the Bible, that's how they live. Look at David's. As a shepherd, he trusted in God. He faced Goliath. He trusted in God to overcome. He was anointed to become the next king. And even though circumstance was totally against him, he just believed and trusted God. He didn't push it forward himself. He just trusted God would do that, right? All through David's life, he just trusted in God. You look at great heroes like Smith Wigglesworth. Smith Wigglesworth, is, he's actually preached in this building twice. Did you know that? Cool guy. If you ever, this, is, this is one of his biographies. You've got to get hold of a Smith Wigglesworth. Everyone's got to read a Smith Wigglesworth biography once in your life. They're little things. They're quite thin. Um, so, you know, it's easy to read. And th- this guy, records have down that he saw 23 people raised from the dead. He saw cancers literally dropping out of bodies. He saw great miracles. And one of the great themes of his life is he believed God. And he's preached twice in this building. Not, not when I was alive. He died in 1947. But a great man of faith. And he started this whole walk with God when he was about 60, 56 years old. You know, he started late in life. And God did great things through him. So you should have a read of him. That's your homework. But you know, Enoch not only believed God for the challenges in life, I think Enoch also believed in a God who was going to be a savior. Enoch saw Jesus. Remember the prophecy in Jude? He saw the Lord coming with the armies of angels. Enoch saw Jesus. He saw Jesus. I don't know if he understood everything he saw. But he had faith in Jesus ahead. We have faith in Jesus in retrospect. We look back and see what Jesus 
the Savior of the world, died on the cross and resurrected. I have faith in that. You can have faith in that. You can have faith in him who did that for you. Because he's not dead, he's alive. He actively, currently is Savior of the world. If you have faith in your heart, you are saved. Because he's your Savior. He's the one who sustains your salvation. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. He's the one who caused you to come alive when you put your trust in him. And he's the one who keeps you alive. And one day, you will see him face to face. Just now you believe who you don't see. And you love him even though you don't see him. And he's, he's here. He's so real. But one day you're going to see him face to face. I cannot wait. I can't wait to see. You're amazing. In fact, you can say it now. You're amazing. Because he's alive right now. He's just as alive right now as he will be when you see him face to face. In fact, just take a moment and say, tell him he's amazing. It's good. He's here. He had faith in Jesus. And maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus. Why on earth would you want to live another day without putting your faith in Jesus? No one's done anything for you like what Jesus has done for you. And Jesus wasn't just a bod. He was God. He was as God the creator died on the cross to save you from your sins. Died in your place instead of you dying for your own sins. Resurrected. Why on earth would you want to live another day without putting your faith in Jesus? Come on, today, do that. And then, so what does it look like to walk with God? First of all, it looked like hearing God. 65 years was the turning point. He heard. And then number two, it looked like believing God. Hebrews tells us that. And also we understand from Romans that faith comes by hearing. So you heard God and it resulted in faith. And then next, walking with God means persevering. Say persevering. Persevering. Some of you are thinking, oh, I knew there was a catch. I knew there was a catch. No, it gets as gritty as this, folks. This is gritty. Let's read the verses again. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years. Say 300 years. You know how long that is, folks? That's three centuries. Most of you ain't going to live that long. All right, Johnny? What's the one going to do? You know, <laughs> majority of us aren't going to live that long. 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, he had other sons and daughters. He had 300 years to have them. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. And Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. He lived in an evil time. He lived at a time probably far darker than any times we will ever exist or any of recent history has ever shown. He lived in the days leading up to the God's judgment in the flood. The wickedness on earth in the days that Enoch lived while walking with God was incomparable. This is what it says in Genesis 6, verses 5 to 6. This is what, how God described the evil of his days. It says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth. He saw that every thought or imagination, every thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. The Lord was sorry that he'd ever made them and put them on earth, and it broke his heart. This is how God felt about human race. He regretted having made human beings. That's how evil the evil was in which Enoch lived. And yet, Enoch walked with God. John MacArthur estimates that the, the population of the world 
based on kind of the, pop, the, the genealogies that were there, could well have been just as big as, as just now, seven billion people prior to the flood. And wickedness was widespread. And yet it says, Enoch walked with God, verse 22, 300 years. Three centuries he walked with God. You know, some folks struggle to walk with God three days. <laughs> I'm serious. Like Russell here, right? Okay. Some folks struggle to walk with God three months. Yes, I'm going to live for God. And they do great for three months. Right? Yeah? Some folks struggle to walk with God three years. 30 years would be good. 300 years, three centuries. At one of the most horrendous times on planet Earth. A man walked with God three hundreds years. Do not let your environment be an excuse for backsliding. Don't let your environment be an excuse for not walking with God. But it's tough. All these things, all these temptations, all these things. Folks, this was pre-flood human beings. This was the worst that could have gone. Enoch walked with God 300 years. Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 12 and 13. Because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm till the end will be saved. Read that last bit with me. But the one who stands firm till the end will be saved. You see, saving faith isn't short-lived faith. Saving faith has backbone in it. Saving faith, people, some people think, oh, I had faith in God and he saved me. No, no, you had a hype, an emotion in a moment when on the spur of the moment you said, okay, I'll have God, because everyone else was doing it and we're singing nice love songs. But it didn't really have backbone on it. And you didn't really think it through. You didn't think, I'm, I'm giving my whole life to God here. You just thought, I'll give this thing a shot. Everyone else is doing it. That's what you thought. It wasn't the real deal. Saving faith endures. He stands firm to the end will be saved. It's not your standing and you're doing good that saves you, it's the authentic faith in your soul that helps you to stand that saves you. It's faith in him that saves you. I had friends over last week, and they were telling, they were over visiting from another part of Europe, and they'd been in our church years and years ago, and they're doing great, they're walking with God, but we were talking about some of our friends that we knew from early days in this church, and we're thinking about one couple. I did their wedding for them. And I remember was in the meeting when that young man gave his life to the Lord. And today they're not going to church and they're not walking with God at all. And then we talked about another couple who, who again, we, we did a lot for, for as a church. We did a lot of stuff to help them. But they're no longer walking with God. So here's what I, I just want to appeal to you folks. I don't want you to be people who do this God thing for a little season in your life and you look back and think that was the God bit of my life. I'm asking you and I'm appealing to you that please would you walk with God centuries, well, decades. Would you walk with God all your life? I'm not talking about just in the easy times because times aren't always going to be easy. You know what? Some of you sell out, and I've seen people do this. I'm leading a church and I've seen some people, they sell out for a lifestyle. So they settle into a lifestyle that's 
kind of, it's all fun and all games and it's very Western, very materialistic, very them. It's all about them. It's all about their hobbies, their thing. And do you know what? They, they used to go to church regularly. They no longer connect with church anymore. But that's, that's, just, that's just the symptomatic of a deeper issue. They're no longer connecting with God. They've gone into neutral and materialism and all the stuff that everyone, everyone else is chilling out and enjoying their life. That's just neutralized them on the inside. They're no longer red hot for God's. Come on. It's nothing more important in life. Right? I see some people through discouragements. You face huge discouragements. And I'm not belittling them. And neither is God. But do not quit on God during discouraging times. He's not going to quit on you. Be someone who walks with God for decades. I don't want to see, I don't want to see you guys kind of, you, you were walking with God and now you're just taking over. Enoch walked with God at one of the hardest periods in history and he's still walking with God 300 years later. I, I grew up with a group, group of friends. There was Brian, there was Robbie, there was Leith, there was Malcolm. There was a girl called Alexandra at school and there was a friend called Ian Downey. All of them had faith. Today, as far as I know, only one of them is walking with God, Brian. He's a youth pastor in America. Robbie's dead. He died in a plane crash. He turned to drink and drugs and alcohol, womanizing. He just, he'd, he'd, but he'd been a missionary. He'd done mission work. And then he just went off track. And then he, he owned a plane and he crashed that plane. I'm glad to hear at his funeral that in the last two weeks of his life, he'd started going back to church. Malcolm was in a mental institution, not walking with God. Leith is just off track completely. Alexandra, whose testimony had so inspired me, and that's one of the reasons that triggered me to come to faith, has walked away. Folks, I'm just appealing to you. And you might look at yourself and think, man, if they couldn't make it, what chance do I have? Listen, God's on your side. Your faith and the robustness of your faith is not dependent on you, it's dependent on God. Just give them something to work with. Don't have some shallow faith. Have the real deal faith, and God will sustain that faith. At the end of Paul's life, 2 Timothy 4, verse 7 and 8, Paul said, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. The word crown there in the Greek language is stephanos. It means a laurel wreath. It's not like a gold crown, like a king. It's a laurel wreath. It's what the Greek athletes were given after running a long race. So this isn't just a sprint. This is a marathon. It might be decades of your life. So don't just jump ship to get what you want to get. Live for God. Live for God. Fourthly, walking with God means dying well. Enoch walked with God 300 years after he became the father of Methuselah, the other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 300 and 65 years. Enoch walked with God and was not, for God took him. Two people in the Bible never saw death. Enoch and Elijah. I don't know, I don't know all the technicalities of what went on there, but that's what the Bible says. So how can you escape death? Seriously, how can you escape death? Jesus said in John eleven twenty five. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, 
will live even if he dies. That's how you can escape death. If you believe in Jesus, you're going to live even if you die. What's the point? The point is this, that you're going to be alive even if you physically die. Because, in fact, the truth is this, the moment you came to faith in Jesus, from that point forward, you are officially alive. It doesn't matter what happens to your body. From the moment you come to faith in Jesus, from that point forward, for all eternity, you are officially alive. That's why you get baptized, because you're burying the old life. Right? You're officially alive. You've come to Jesus. It's interesting. <clears throat> After the resurrection of Jesus, the apostles very rarely referred to anyone as dead. You read, and read the New Testament. They typically speak of people and they say, oh, they fell asleep, or they're at home with the Lord, or they say they departed. Now, very rarely is the term they died used because they're so alive. And the fifth and final point I want to make to you is this, that walking with God means desiring God. Genesis 3, verse 8. This is what, before... Enoch was born, Adam and Eve fell, and this is what it says, then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he walked in the garden in the cool of the day. Now, if you remember a few weeks ago, we talked about God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Walking is a metaphor for friendship. Enoch walked with God. Abraham walked with God. It's a metaphor for relationship. So what's the picture here? When God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, what does it say? It says that God was pursuing friendship. God was pursuing relationship. God, as far as he's concerned, is wanting relationship with people. He's wanting to have communion with people. Chances are, Adam was 622 years old when Enoch was born. Enoch would have known Adam. Well, possibly. He may have heard that story about God walking in the garden. But Enoch, not only was God desiring relationship with people, but Enoch desired relationship with God. And this is such an important point. You see, if you ask typical people in Edinburgh, so when you die, will you go to heaven? Most people are really adamant, yes, I'll go to heaven. And they'll be really offended at the possibility you might suggest otherwise. But here's the weird thing. They're totally not interested in God. And heaven's all about God. It's like me saying, so will you come to my house? And say, yes, I'll totally come to your house. But you're so not interested in me. I mean, why would you want to come to my house? Why would you even want to come to my house? Because I'm there. I mean, I, I like it. I, I'm there all the time. Why would you want to come to my house if you don't even like me? So half the people in Edinburgh, they're so adamant. Of course I'll go to heaven. But they don't give two thoughts to God. So why do you want heaven? Would you not rather hell? Because you've been living without God all your life. Hell is simply the trajectory of someone who's just been living without God. All that death, physical death does, all that death does is petrify the existing state. Makes it firm forever. And if someone's been living with God, then you die with God. <laughs> I mean, nothing changes. You just continue with God. And you've been living without God, 
then you're just going to die without God. It's not like you live without God and all of a sudden you get God. You, you, you distinctly expressed your desire on earth by perpetually living as if God wasn't there, in fact, blaming him for all the stuff that went wrong and using his name as a curse. You're not interested in God, so why are you bothered about heaven? See, folks, as far as Jesus was concerned, John 17, verse 3, Jesus said, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. For some, eternal life is the reward from knowing God. For Jesus, eternal life is knowing God. It's about relationship. It's about relationship with this God who gave us life. The truth is, Enoch didn't want heaven. He wanted God. And it just so happened, heaven's where God is, so that's where he went. God's not a means to an end. Like, oh, I want heaven? I'll, I'll have to get God then. God's the end in himself. Desire God. He's everything. Love what the psalmist says, Psalm 73, verse 25 to 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? On earth is nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9. What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things that God has prepared for those who love him. Let's pray. So God, it's just a great pleasure to be in your presence just now. And thank you, God, that you love us and you have such great plans and great desires for every person in this room. Whether they acknowledge you or not, you love them. And I know you've got great plans and you've got a huge heart for our city. The majority of our city currently is wanting nothing to do with you. But God, I know you love them. And I know one of the reasons we exist in this city is to introduce our city to you. And what a joy that will be. And we're looking forward to seeing that happening in a bigger scale in the days ahead. But God, for us who are here, we want to say thank you for you. Thank you for the example of Enoch, who walked with God for three centuries at one of the hardest periods in history. God, thank you for his example of how he didn't just go for it in the last 10 minutes of his life. He lived that way throughout his whole life. He lived for God. And I pray, God, that we would do the same. We would play like it was the last 10 minutes, even if it's the first 10 minutes. And you would be our focus, and you'd be our agenda. And you'd captivate our hearts, and you'd fill our horizons. Okay, so just take a moment to pray your response to God just now. Pray back anything that you feel God has spoken to you this morning. Respond to him.
Maybe today you're, you're not yet connected with God. I just want to encourage you today to, why not start this journey with God? But please, let me just say before I say that, don't start this journey if you don't plan to continue. I'd rather you got nothing than you got some cheap version of Christianity. But if today you're saying, Peter, I want from now on, in fact, for the rest of my life, 30, 40, 50 years, however long I've got, I want to be God's and I want to walk with God. I want to put my faith in God. I don't want to live another day without God. Then if that's you just now, this is your moment to you to respond to God. He's here. So very simply, I'm going to help you do that. Just, I want you to pray this prayer after me. It's a prayer where you're putting your faith in him. If that's you today, just repeat this after me under your breath. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you for your love for me. Jesus, thank you for dying for me on the cross and for rising again the third day. Thank you, you're alive right now. I give my life to you. I put my faith in you. And to the best of my ability, with your help, I will walk with you all my days. Jesus, be Lord of my life. Thanks for hearing my prayer. So that's you, and you prayed that prayer, I'd like to pray for you, wherever you are. If you prayed that prayer, and that was your decision today, then just, could you raise your hand quickly? I want to pray for you. Is there anyone like that today? I'll just wait for a moment. That's the decision you've made this morning, saying, Peter, today I'm going to, go, I'm going to walk with God. I'm going to start this journey. Or I'm going to come back to God. I've, I've walked away from him today. I'm, I'm, I'm coming back. And here I am, Lord, for the rest of my life. If that's you, just raise your hand quickly. I want to pray for you. Thanks. Is there someone up in the balcony as well? raise your hand just make it clear to me thank you is there anyone else okay, Lord I thank you so much thank you say your hand it's great okay God thank you so much for these three or possibly four individuals today who in your presence have made a simple decision and yet a profound decision you've heard their prayer now I ask you God that you would help them to walk with you because they need your help. They can't just do this in their own strength. They need your help and your power. I pray each one of them would walk with you now. Get baptized. Follow Jesus all their life. Thank you for hearing their prayer. Thank you for accepting them today. In Jesus' name.